Prepare to unlock your potential and conquer the business realm with Boss Uncaged. Join S.A. Grant, a seasoned entrepreneur, digital marketing expert, and branding specialist as he delves into exclusive interviews, strategies, and success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. Guiding you from overcoming challenges to dominating diverse media platforms, Boss Uncaged is your ultimate source for business and entrepreneurial insights. Subscribe, like, and share now to elevate your business game where the spirit of the uncaged boss runs free. Meet the visionary behind the Boss Uncaged Educational Network and Omnimedia, the one and only boss beast, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So I was doing my due diligence and I'm, I'm looking at Jake's background and a couple of different things come to mind. And, and you know, I always give whoever I'm interviewing a particular nickname. So it was kind of like a toss up between his both companies. So we're going to talk about both his companies today, but ideally I'm going to name him the hyper boss because that's just a, to me, it's a kick-ass. I like it. So, so why don't you tell all a little bit about you and, and about, you know, a little bit about both the companies. I mean, obviously there's two separate spectrums. One is a little bit more grandfathered than the other one, one a little bit newer cause and effect. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, so out of college uh, back in 2012, I started what was called at the time, pick the pick with a partner. And Instagram had just kind of launched. Snapchat was like brand new. So we're talking about like very early days of like mobile social media. I think Facebook was like 2006, 2007. It started really catching on, but you were using it where you'd like take a picture on a camera, upload it to your computer and, you know, tag people on your, it was a computer situation on facebook.com. There weren't really apps. So we were kind of in the early days. Um, so we started a photo competition app called Pick the Pick that eventually grew into a social polling app, which we called Hyper, and you'd send people hypes. And then that morphed into kind of e-commerce plugins for, for e-commerce brands where uh, while you were shopping on a store, you could ask people what they thought, like this person, this person, this shirt or this, and like text your friends and they would vote. And so while you're still in the store, you know, if you get a couple of votes on like if you should buy the, you know, the red Jordans or the blue Jordans or whatever, um, you could actually get informed and kind of have a more social experience. You know, we all used to go to the mall together, but then that kind of ended with, you know, online shopping. And so we wanted to bring that back where you could have social shopping. So that did really well. Um, we worked with a lot of companies like Guest Jeans and some other places. Um, and uh, yeah, that's still running. But I don't actively run that day-to-day -day anymore. That's been, you know, run by someone else for, for a little while. Now what I'm doing mostly is the skincare company, which is Crete, which is, uh, I had a ski accident a couple of years ago. I have a scar on my nose. And so I was like a regular dude who used a bar of soap to wash my face. And from learning about skincare through necessity to treat my scar, I realized, you know, there's a million products out there that would work great for guys. There's just no hope for us to find them because a store like Sephora is, is not made for us. You know, there's no way we're going to get educated about stuff. It's too feminine. You know, the concealer I was using, which first of all, a guy using concealer was like, oh my God, I, like, would you even know about that product? Is it too feminine? Is it like, I don't know. Well, guess what? It covered my scar. You couldn't even see it. So I was like, okay, where do I go? I went to Sephora. They recommended a brand called NARS, which is short for narcissist. And I was like, all right, whatever. Comes like a little pink tube. And then the, the tone that I was using was called creme brulee. It's like, I don't like anything about this. I liked the physical product in the bottle. 
everything else A to Z about the experience was absolutely terrible and embarrassing and I didn't want to deal with it. So I thought, well, if other guys could use this product, the physical, you know, creamy concealer in the tube, why don't I just go A to, what's the letter before? A to Y, I guess, and redo that. The Z will keep the products the same and like make them, make them a little better, maybe tune them a little to chemistry for guys. But why don't we go A to, you know, A to Y and redo the packaging, the messaging, the marketing, the brand promises and all those kinds of things. And so we launched Crete and it's, yeah, we're, we're doing really well. We grew like 200 and something percent in the last two months. It's, it's going pretty great. Right. So, I mean, I think in, in, in that founding story, it's kind of interesting because I mean, are you white labeling that product or did you kind of get chemists? No, we, we, we fully, in fact, I actually taught myself chemistry and formulated our first two products myself. And obviously once I got them to where I thought they were really, really good, we worked with chemists to make sure that they were going to actually work. But, um, it was during the lockdowns and so every lab was closed. And so out of necessity, I was just like, well, I'm not going to wait. So I made two different hyaluronic acid serums, a facial serum and a body serum, which is essentially just super concentrated moisturizers, two pumps on your face, takes less than 30 seconds and you're good for a day. So I focus on every single ingredient with our concealer and the other five products we're working on. Um, we work with, with external chemists too, um, some from Fellow Shave Club, some from other places. And yeah, our goal is to just make the most effective products, period. Because if we do all the work to market it to you and acquire you as a customer and ship it to you and pay the fulfillment cost, you know, we're out of money on the first order. So yeah. why on earth would we not want you to be so impressed that it worked for you that you get it again? So I've always been that way. I have an unbelievable emphasis on on if the product's not the literal best thing out there, why the hell should they care? Why should they reorder? But mm -hmm. if it is, you get a repeat customer without doing anything. So it doesn't matter what you acquire them for. They're on for life. And we've seen that. We launched subscribers in January and we still have monthly subscribers from January and December. So so I think it's, crazy. it's really cool because I mean, obviously with your background coming from like the digital marketing space and then you're mm -hmm. kind of using that spectrum to kind of sell this product and you're, again, the product was a product for yourself. So you used it yeah. first. So I want to talk about like, like your education for a minute. I mean, obviously I think your education, you had like dual majors, right? You had a, a economics. I had a major math. in economics and a minor in math and Spanish. So, uh, I mean, the only reason I didn't go for the math major is I don't know how much math you study, but it gets so abstract and bizarre mm -hmm. once you're at higher levels. It was like, I don't even enjoy this anymore. I liked math that was tied to science, you know, mm -hmm. math of physics and math of chemistry, things like that. You know, once you get to multivariable calculus, it's interesting. But beyond that, it was like, nah, I just don't like this anymore. But yeah, so those, those are interesting because they were kind of generalist. And I think they taught me more of how to problem solve and solve puzzles with logical, you know, things. But I think doing math proofs at a high level actually made me really good at understanding how contracts work. So I do a lot of negotiations of our contracts because those are just logic puzzles. If this thing happens in this case, then this thing is the, you know, the, the thing that needs to happen to fix that. But if that happens in this other case, you know, it's just kind of, it's very similar to a math proof in my mind. So I didn't really take my education and apply it. I think you just kind of learned some fundamental things and some fundamental thinking because I don't even remember most of the math things I learned. If you showed me the, those textbooks, it would look like a different language to me at this point. So let's just keep taking it back, right? So obviously you're talking about multiple different backgrounds to become who you are right now. Let's just go back. Mm -hmm. You were a kid. Like what kind of kid were you growing up? What was your household like? 
Uh, very, very lucky to have a very supportive family, um, talented parents who did well, but also managed to get me to care that if I achieve things myself, this is probably the biggest lesson they, they taught me was that if I manage to achieve things myself, it's a million times better than anything someone gives you. You know, I went to a high school that was a private high school. It was nice. Everyone was getting like ridiculous cars at 16. Well, they didn't, honestly, a lot of them are not super happy now because they got too much too young. My parents made me work for an allowance. I was tutoring kids until 11 PM in the summers to make the money to pay for the, you know, things like that. So it was, it was a work ethic and it was about, you want to achieve, but you want to achieve because you want it, not because it was given to you, you know? And so I was lucky that they had resources to help me do piano lessons and singing and chess and Taekwondo and a lot of those things, which you know, chess is strategy, Taekwondo, which, you know, I got a black belt in at 14 and used to compete in a lot that taught discipline and grit. So there were a lot of those kinds of things. It also just was interesting because I was exposed to like the Korean cultures, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. And so just kind of four or five hours a week going into a different universe and seeing a different culture, a different language, that's just good for younger kids anyway. You know, it's good to be raised around multiple cultures and languages. It just you kind of have a more open mind about everything, not just about lifestyles, but about, you know, an entrepreneur needs to have an open mind about what's possibilities are. And so, I mean, it's a little philosophical, but I think that those couple of upbringing things, it let me know I could, I could do whatever I wanted because I've seen tons of different lifestyles and different cultures. Yeah. I think one of the key things that you said was like your parents gave you an opportunity to make you to believe in what you wanted to do before mm-hmm. you do it kind of thing. So, I mean, obviously like, like that, that's a, that's a solid segue to like talking about like your product. I mean, the product mm-hmm. was a problem that you were solving for yourself. So I yeah. want to kind of like talk about that. I mean, obviously you could have just sure. went out there and bought something like you said earlier on, there was product. I did and they, and they worked yeah. and, and you know, like I'll say this NARS concealer is amazing. Mm-hmm. YSL's concealer is amazing. They're expensive, but the problem is they're not amazing for a guy like me where you buy it, how you have to buy it, the the little stick thing that you buy it, it's confusing. But the physical product in the bottle, like I'll give credit where credit is due. Their chemistry is good. Everything else is for a guy is terrible. But I'm I'm a pain in the ass consumer. I like things correct. I like things to be easy. I like things to make sense. You know, Apple's one of the greatest brands in the world that just like you get a new phone and you put them together and like it's magic. You're like it's no effort to use another Apple product once you have one. So I kind of want it to be like that. Uh, our tagline is 30 second skincare. So I knew what I wanted as a consumer was, well, if they spoke to me in a language I understood, talked about problems I actually had clearly, no extra fills, no extra BS. They sent it to me with free shipping fast, great customer service. It's like, these are the A plus things I would want. And if there was a brand that did that, I would have bought from them and it would have changed my life sooner. And it's like, okay, well, all of those things are completely doable. Why has nobody done it? It's not that hard. I mean, it's a pain to be good at customer service. You have to be on it. You have to be answering emails and care about your customers, but it's not hard. It's emails. Okay. So we'll just do it. We'll make sure to get great people and do it. We'll pay them a little extra so that they are on it the same day you email us. So we just saw nobody had put that all together. And so we did. And obviously our customers love it. Hmm. So let's just talk about your packaging. I mean, obviously your color, combinations that you use is primarily green like why did you choose that particular color to represent your brand um 
Well, I wanted it to be masculine, but not like so masculine. Everyone just goes black for masculine. And that's like, a, it's a joke. I mean, the funny thing is too, it's like, it's called the beauty industry. And like, even the industry is like, yeah, guys are not supposed to be, you know? So we call it the handsomeness industry. And I just thought like, I don't want to do the cop out of just going, you know, black and white or black and gold. I like those combinations. I had a sneaker company and we had black and gold stuff all over the place. But um, yeah, I just, I saw it. We were going to try to be stand out. There weren't a lot of other brands that did it. And when I saw this particular green, it just stood out to me. Then also we, we were going to call the concealer a camo pen. And I was like, okay, well, green is kind of camo. It just, there were a couple things that worked. It just, we tested a lot of colors and we just thought like, what are our brand principles and like what color embodies that? Or at least doesn't embody things that are against it. Like red would have been too loud. We're a discreet brand. Our brand, like our green is a matte, more muted light green. So, you know, we did look into some color psychology, but at the end of the day, it's like, we liked the color. It worked. Uh, there were no other brands that really had owned that color. Um, it was dark enough where it could have a contrast with a lighter color. We use a, a cream instead of a white. So it's not quite as glaring, especially on digital screens. When our background is cream, a lot easier on the eyes. A lot of brands don't think about that kind of stuff. So color was interesting, but yeah, we, it's, it's, it's funny because like, yeah, we picked it. We also have a dark blue as our, as our third color. And we use that when we need a little more visual contrast, but we don't put that on the packaging, but we use those three colors, a cream, a green, and a blue. And like, that's it for everything. And it's been very easy. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, it sounds like you're very analytical in your thinking. So if you could define yeah. yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Mm, let me think. Thorough. Is definitely one. Um, analytical and thorough are definitely two of them. Um, hmm, what is it? A paranoid is not the right word, but like there's a joke that like I'm the chief paranoid officer. I read it in a book once. You need a chief optimism officer and a chief paranoid officer, and and they can be the same people. But like you need someone who's always like. Okay, well, if we're going to do this, what, what are the things that can come out of the woodwork and kill us? If we're running this ad, are we going to get claims that we're a medical device and sued by the FTC? You know, those kinds of things. So maybe cautious or paranoid is another one of them. Definitely optimistic. And I'll give a fifth one. Uh, determined. Got it. I can definitely, I can definitely see that. I mean, one of the key words that you said was like being paranoid. So if, if on one spectrum you're paranoid, do you have someone that's part of your team that you could bounce ideas off of? That's usually the polar opposite of you. Um, well, I would say that I give paranoid is such a bad word, but it's just funnier. So we use that. Uh, cause we know that like on our internal team, they kind of take the edge off of what the actual word means. But yeah, I would say it's 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 thorough and cautious is more of those things, right? Like with a new ad campaign, what are our claims? Because, you know, if you say certain things, we'll say phrasing like can help fight the appearance of versus fix your wrinkles. Well, fix your wrinkles could technically be construed as interacting with the body in a specific way that could get you in a, in a different category with the FDA and then you didn't actually apply for those, per, you know, there's actually some serious things when you're, you know, doing a contract with a new manufacturer. We just, we just signed a new influencer agency. Like I just had the call this morning. 
Well, one of the things that wasn't overtly spelled out was if we have a license to use the things the influencers post. And so I was like, made sure that that was in the agreement and it took an extra week to negotiate. But so it's not necessarily about paranoia. It's really about just being thorough to make sure that things you can control don't come back to bite you. Um, Because there's so much difficulty in running a company and being a startup that if there's something you can actually get out in front of, do it. Because there's a lot of other hard things. But yeah, I mean, I'm also very optimistic. I mean, I started a skincare company with as an outsider of the business. Like that's a crazy thing to do. I decided that I was capable of formulating our products. Another crazy thing to do. So, you know, those aren't necessarily cautious things. Um, but I think everyone I hire kind of has a similar balance. Like they'll throw out crazy ideas or they'll tell me my ideas are terrible. And if they are, we won't do them. So, I mean, obviously, you, you, like you said, you jumped into an industry that that you were not familiar with, but obviously you got adapted pretty quickly. And that kind of goes into retail. Like how many SKUs are you promoting and selling currently right now? So we have two and we just launched our second one. We, we became a profitable company as in like the acquisition cost was much lower than the overall lifetime value. You know, our first orders were still losing some money, but we'd have a subscription. So after three months, we would, we'd make money and people were staying four or five, six. So with one product and it was a hydrating facial serum because we learned very early that we had unbelievable retention, like way better retention than other direct consumer brands. Uh, we're not in retail yet. We don't really want to be in retail for at least a little while. We want to grow our scale and understand our market and more demographics better because is our price point probably a little high for Target? Do we go to a Neiman Marcus or a Saks? Or like that might not be our demographic with shoppers, but we have two we just launched. Um, we have concealer that's going to come out in Q1 and then about you know five more products, six more products we're working on. Probably we'll just keep adding ones because we have a new formulator who I'm working with who's amazing. But um, yeah, we basically wanted to take one skin issue like dry skin or signs of aging and make the best product in the world for that one. Okay, great. We nailed it. Now let's go to the next. Hiding stuff. Okay, concealer next face wash next deodorant and we're going one by one and making sure we're spending extra time to make sure they're the best because that's kind of our brand promise so yeah it takes extra time it's also obviously easier to run a company with fewer SKUs. it's just a little harder because you can't do upsells and things as much but you know there's a balance to everything i mean i think it's definitely interesting i mean obviously you're you're very cautious like you said earlier and you're starting with one skew and you're scaling I want you to talk a little bit about like more so like the e-com because I mean, you're coming from like mm-hmm. a highly successful e-com background. Obviously, I would think that is affecting to what you're doing right now. Is that not right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, everything is a funnel at the end of the day, right? Um, if you've ever been on social media for more than 10 minutes, you've gotten a number of ads and like you can see what ads resonate. And Something I and our team do well is we look at what's out there and we break down what's successful and we recreate it pretty well. So, you know, if there's something trending on TikTok, we can understand why it's trending pretty quickly and make a video pretty, pretty fast. Like within a matter of days, we've filmed a lot of stuff in house and things like that. So that's the top of the funnel, right? So that was the stuff that I had to learn. I learned Adobe Premiere Pro and I was originally making our ads a year and a half ago and they were funny, but like they had no marketing strategy they were just me being like buy this and then an explosion like they were very random um so once i hired professionals to actually work with us in-house on that 
those got better. Then people come to your website. Okay, well, the website was our bread and butter. We're still on basically version one of our website two years later. It converts like crazy. It converts like 2x the normal industry standard because that is what I did with, with Hyper for years was help make people's e-commerce websites convert to sales. So that part of the funnel was great. And then, you know, figuring out fulfillment was a pain, but we worked with a smaller place that could we pay them extra so they fulfill it the same day because we thought, okay, well, if we want to compete with Amazon in that like Amazon gets it to you in a day or two, if we can get it to you in two to four days, it's in the ballpark. Other brands won't, like some of our competitors, they won't even fulfill an order for like three or four days. We get it out usually the same day or the next if it's like at night. That just makes us look better. You get our product in two days. You're like, wow, that's amazing. So there was kind of an emphasis on every part of the funnel to just make it as good as possible. And so we went and found individual people for those parts of the funnel that could just crush it. And, you know, we paid them well, gave them some equity and now they care. So I'm... I want you to talk about like, okay, obviously you, you talked about distribution a little bit, but again, mm-hmm. I think your formula was probably something that's, that's trademarked or, you know, something you don't want somebody to copy. So how do you deal with that distribution? Are you packaging it and sending them off pre-packaged? So modeling them yeah, we, we, we worked originally the first like thousand I literally made by hand. I labeled them with a literal little wooden thing called like a label wizard I got from Amazon for 50 bucks. And you like, put the label on and put the bottle and it's you do like four labels a minute, five labels a minute. And I sit there for 10 hours and do labels. So there's thousand or two, which I don't know, that was like a year and a half ago, whatever that we sold through those. Um, then we started getting better machinery and still doing some of it in house, but like, you know, with the appropriate setup and whatnot and a good facility. Recently we have grown big enough where we had to outsource stuff, but we were at a, a volume where we could negotiate better terms with the manufacturers. That is one thing that is like an unfortunate part is the manufacturing in the skincare industry is kind of stuck in the eighties. They are these giant couple of like conglomerate labs and they basically the five to 10 of them make every skincare product for every place you've ever known. So whether it's Kiehl's or whether it's Aesop, like a lot of times they're getting made on the same machines at the same factories, by the same guys, which is why a lot of the products are the same. So, you know, if you come and you want 10,000 units, they're like, eh, we don't care. We'll get to it in 12 weeks mm. and the quality control won't be that great. So we wanted to grow enough where we could be ordering enough for them to care about us. And then on top of that, we actually found a smaller place that's a lot more custom. Again, a little more expensive, like, you know, 30, 40% more expensive. But this place will get an order out in two weeks, not 12. It will let me actually watch the orders happen to make sure the labels don't have bubbles in it. So it's like, there's always a balance with the actual production of quality, you know, it's like quality, speed, and price pick two. It's like, okay, well, we're obviously going to pick quality and speed to market. Mm-hmm. Like, because price is, okay, an extra dollar or two per unit is not great, but it's a lot better than waiting 12 weeks being sold out. Like that is that is the worst problem I can imagine. So it's like, you know, we'll just, okay, let's save two bucks on acquiring customers. Let's get, you know, get better emails. Let's, you know, there's, there's ways to save on marketing. There's not really ways to save when it comes to the quality of your product. Hmm. So 
we have listeners that are listening, right? And let's say that they're listening to you and they're like, okay, like I, I like what he's saying. Maybe they want to dibble and dabble into that space. And the thing that I always want to talk about is like, how do you protect yourself as far as someone copying what you're creating? Um, it's, it's interesting because I used to have this, this thought a lot back when we were making an app because, you know, once you have an app on someone's phone or an app on a website, people can just go like inspect and get the code. It's like, maybe they can't get your backend code, but it's the same thing with, with skincare. It's like, we literally have to list the products on the packaging legally. And then on top of that, there's certain usage rates. So it's like, there's a recommended usage rate for, let's say, apple stem cell extract from zero to 1%. And I don't remember if that's the exact range because I formulated it like years ago, but you know, obviously we use it within that range. So it's like, you know, we'd be stupid to not do that. Mm. So, you know, phenoxyethanol, you can't go above 1% and be compliant in Europe or Japan or places like that. So you can reverse engineer this stuff up to a certain point. Our, we kept our formulas very simple. We're not really worried about that though, because that's what, that's what this industry kind of does. Like that just means we're doing it well and we're doing it better. And also, you know, you do have to be a little bit careful, but it's just, it's not something you can avoid. So it's not something to worry about the software element of it. Like we try to protect that, you know, if, if we're building an app where that matches your skin tone at home, like that, we're going to try to protect. But at the end of the day, what people are buying, buying from you is the combination of the product and the brand and the customer service and the experience and the messaging. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you have all of that, like, great. Someone else, if they copied our serum, have fun understanding the learnings we have of how to get literally like 65 year old guys in West Virginia are buying our stuff. Like that's not an easy thing to get like older yeah. generations of guys and like not, not like East and West coast cities to buy skincare. That's not, that's like $40 a bottle. So have fun, have fun trying to get there after you copied our formula. Like it's not easy. So let's just, just talk about like the time, right? I mean, obviously you kind of hinted at a couple of dates here and there. Like how long did it take you from start to where you are right now? Um, well, we started in 2019. Um, the issue was like the lockdowns in early 2020 basically slowed us probably a full year because one labs weren't open. And the second thing is I had a very hard time even getting components to make it like to for experimenting because we sell like smaller bottles and, the pumps we were using were also being used around the world for um, hand sanitizer. Mm. So they were just gone. And now there's like 10 distributors within 10 miles of like where we make it that have millions of these units available for cheap. But like at the time they were globally sold out with like six month waiting times. So, you know, that probably stalled us nine months to a year just because it did. So if we're really talking about like, let's say when we started, it was probably like late 2020 early 2021, we started actually running ads and having inventory. I was doing a lot of it myself, May or June of 2021, we started hiring the right people to do the ads, do our emails, up our ad spend. January of this year, we switched to a subscription model where we still have it. You can buy a regular bottle or a three pack, which do really well, but where you could subscribe and like get the first bottle for six bucks off. That was when the company kind of changed and took off mm. because we just, we had people as a no-brainer trying it. It's a $39 bottle and we sell, sell send it to you for $6 with free shipping. So everyone was like, yeah, I'll try it. They try it, they fall in love with it. They stay on forever at 30 bucks. So those are the kinds of major dates. And so we're still kind of at the end of what I consider the first year of our real business model. 
and we've grown it's just over 11x so about like you know 1107 percent was the number i think i checked yesterday in revenue from january to now so you know it was low to medium in january now it's like a completely different company and that was all mostly with one product until like black friday when we launched our second product so you know, it's step by step. You just need to do the right things. You know, one month will be focused and that this December month will be focused on getting our influencers up and running in our emails better. January, a new subscription deal and more podcast, you know, whatever it is, it's just, you have to kind of build it up. And then you look back at six months later and you're like, oh, all that work paid off, but you never feel it day to day. I think you brought up another solid point about like branding. I mean, you, you talked about your product being a brand. Mm -hmm. You talked about the company being a brand and essentially you're using influencers as far as personal brand. So I want you to talk about, are you eventually going to become like the main person, the brand, the visual brand of the company, or are you going to just going to keep outsourcing it to influencers? So we just recently tried something. We called it the, the Jake flow. Obviously I'm Jake. And so our audience over the last six months, we've been doing exceptionally well with like 35 plus and anti-aging messaging. Mm -hmm. That's just been, you know, older guys are more brand loyal once they find something. So they stayed subscribed like crazy. They have more disposable income. So a 30 something dollar bottle is, you know, they were left behind by the general culture of skincare. Like I'm, I'm 32. So like I wasn't raised with like guys using skincare. People who are 20 now, guys who are 20, like in college or whatever, like they probably were, or at least it's so more socially acceptable to do that. But, you know, they might see trends on TikTok about skincare now, whereas we never did. Um, so older guys were were like really buying it. So when we ran my ads with me in it, it, they did, I'll just be honest, they did not well because I look younger and I wasn't resonating and I didn't have, I don't have the skin issue that they were looking to solve. Mm -hmm. But it was also, they did really well on like our Instagram as far as organic content. So now when we launch on TikTok and we start going to different demographics, we're going to reuse me again. Mm. I don't really need to be the face of it as far as like ego and whatever. I just want the company to do well. I've actually been a very private person in my life. I've never really posted on social media. So it's funny to me, but I was also a singer and a performer. So it's like, I can do it if I need to. Um, it's really that people like to be spoken to by someone who, either looks like them, sounds like them, or understands their needs. And if you can do all three of those things, it's great. You know, if if someone's talking to me about problems that a 30-year-old guy in LA has from the sun, I'm going to be like, I'm listening, you know? That sounds exactly like what I need. So we try to have a very diverse group of people saying diverse messaging because that's how we really speak to people. Generalized messaging just doesn't really work. You have to kind of make people feel like you understand them. So that's one of the reasons to go with influencers is just, you know, we're doing micro and nano influencers, so we can do way more of them and we can get, you know, girls talking to guys, girls talking to girls to buy for gifts for guys, older girls, younger girls. And that's just like, we haven't even explored women selling, selling the product for us. So there's a lot to experiment with. And so we think that like influencers are, are the way to do that experimentation to new markets. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, it's a hell of a strategy for sure. So, I mean, I want to talk about like, like go back in time again, because obviously you said mm -hmm. your parents, they did, they did well, but I mean, yeah. obviously you're very entrepreneurial. So are you getting this from like your parents were either one of them business owners? Uh, my dad was like, uh, he was a, a Wall Street guy, but definitely started his own firm. 
it wasn't even that they were business owners. It was that they they always did things the way they thought was right, even if it wasn't the way other, other people were doing something. So an example is like my mom was a doctor, well, is a doctor. She would always have, you know, dietary and kind of insights into things that 20 years later would be common knowledge. Like she, I remember when we were kids would say like, you know, she, we were eating a lot of mushrooms, portobello mushrooms, other things. She's like, I don't really know why. I just know that these are good for, you know, your immune system and other things because antibiotics originally came from fungi. And like, okay, now every other commercial I get is mud water or some like mushroom supplement replacement for coffee. It's like, well, she was saying this in 1994. Like, okay. Or like water bottles. She said, don't leave them in the sun. There's probably plastic particles that melt in it. Okay. Well, studies a couple of years ago came out. That's true. So she was... She was on that kind of stuff. So I don't know. We I did a lot of music. I did martial arts. I did chess. It was always a you can kind of choose your own adventure as long as you do well with it. And I think that's what an entrepreneur ends up being, right? I choose what marketing channel we're doing. I choose what products we're going to do. But you have to do it well. So I think it was more that kind of if everyone's doing it, it doesn't mean it's right lesson and then you know you can do whatever you want just make sure it's a, a smart thing to be doing and then do it well and so you know that kind of lifestyle and mentality more so than them being specifically business owners or anything like that yeah so picking up on the keywords that you said i mean you said lifestyle a couple of different times so i want you to talk a little bit more about like what is your morning routines like your lifestyle with like what time do you wake up and what do you usually do when you wake up so i value sleep more than a lot of entrepreneurs do they like to talk and it's just it's just common sense to me it's like i don't need caffeine i have a ton of energy all the time anyone who meets me thinks i'm like must be chugging caffeine all i don't need it i mean i drink it occasionally like tea or coffee but i get i try to get seven eight hours of sleep minimum a night if i can and i work late so i'll work till midnight or 1 a.m i'll just wake up at nine because to me the quality of work during the day is far more important than the hours of day I wake up right into work. I wake up, let's say at 8.30. I open my emails. I start looking at customer service stuff. I start seeing what I have for the day. I never plan any calls for before 9.30 a.m. to give myself a little time to wake up. I never ate breakfast. I just never did. Now everyone's got a fancy name for it, like intermittent fasting. For me, it was just like, I don't know. I never cared about breakfast foods. And I wasn't, if I ate, I felt sluggish in the morning. So I eat at 1, 1.30, 12.30. I try to eat light. So that way you don't have that like, crash from being full at mm -hmm. 2 p.m. Uh, I eat a giant dinner and I eat super late, which, you know, people say is not great for you, but I don't care. Like, I don't know. I'll eat a hamburger at midnight. It's not really an issue for me. But um, yeah, for me, it's about the consistency would be probably getting up between 8 and 8.30 after having worked pretty late, um, getting that sleep, not eating, and then eating a nice, like, lighter lunch and then a huge dinner. And uh, it's about focus more than it is about hours. Like if you're sitting at a desk but looking busy, but you're not actually getting work done, then then what are you doing? Like I don't really get distracted. I don't go on Instagram or TikTok when I have a contract due. I just get it done, kind of a thing. So I don't. I don't have this like you know. Everyone likes to say, "Oh, Mark Zuckerberg wears the same T-shirt every day." Yeah, I work from home. I don't know if I if I. Whatever shirt I find, I throw on. It's like, you know, if I have an interview, I obviously try to prep it up. But I've been working from home since 2012. So for me, it's like, it's very easy. No commute, saves an hour and a half. Getting ready, saves another half an hour. You know, all those little things mm -hmm. 
They just get put right back into doing work or an extra hour of sleep or two, right? No commute could be an extra hour of sleep for everybody. It makes sense. And one thing I, I was waiting to hear you say, because I mean, obviously in what you're doing on a routine basis, there has to be some like continued education. Because I mean, to the point to where you've learned chemistry, yeah. you've learned this other stuff. So if you can kind of think about a book that you would like to recommend for entrepreneurs, what would that telltale book be for you? Well, really quick, because I just thought of one other thing. I also try to eat very healthy. That's just something I never had a problem with. So like I'll eat a salad with chicken and like that'll be a good lunch. And you know what you eat if you eat like pretty bad food, processed food, it'll just make you sluggish and tired and your work will be worse. So I view every one of those kinds of things as a like, okay, well, if I'm healthier and eating better and sleeping better, my work will be better, which means my life will be better. But okay, so a book. Um, there's one I really love. It's not even a business book. It's just a life book. It's called The Art of War. No, no, The War of Art. The War of Art. And it's about this concept called resistance and how like when you don't want to get up in the morning, it's this like philosophical concept of resistance trying to stop you. And it kind of makes an enemy out of this idea of like resistance. And so you have to beat this thing. You know, if I'm if I'm procrastinating, if I'm being lazy, if I'm not eating well, it's this like evil resistance idea coming in. And it's just a really fun book and it's it's brilliantly written. And so, you know, a lot of getting work done is doing a lot of things you don't necessarily want to do right away, well, focused and, and without mistakes. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to convince yourself to do it later. So you have to not give into those. One of the other great books I would say is, um, I would say just anything about agile development, you know, lean I've read all these so long ago, but like the lean series are really good. Just getting stuff out there, testing it, making sure customers like stuff before you've invested time and money into things, you know, make a formula, send it to five people. Oh, they all hate it. Good. I'm very happy. I didn't move forward with that. You know, embracing customer service as an opportunity to understand reality, as opposed to hoping you, the thing you made is great. Um, yeah. Those are, those are the two kinds of main books I would suggest if someone was new or want a little boost. So spinning off of like the lean model, I mean, like mm -hmm. obviously you have a well-oiled machine. What applications of software do you use on a day-to-day -day that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to them? Um, I don't think anything we, well, I realized I was wrong immediately. We have a full-time developer who I worked with on, on Hyper who is now full-time full -time with us at Crete. And so we actually build a lot of things in-house so that we can have them work better. We built an affiliate and referral program in-house so that we could keep the data instead of an external affiliate person so that we could change the rewards if you want. You know, if, if a, an influencer comes to us and they say, yeah, man, I want, I want a free bottle every two sales I get you. Okay, whatever. We can just like two seconds later, we can make that customized thing. We built our own website in-house, which gives us better access to analytics. If something happens like, oh, everybody's like clicking on this button and they shouldn't be, we change it. Or we know about bugs 10 minutes after. So, you know, it's much harder to do that. And thankfully that was my background. So I didn't really need to learn about that. But um, building a lot of stuff in-house with software is very key. Having said that, we run on Shopify. I mean, they take care of the heavy lifting of so much stuff like payment processing, chargebacks, discounts, web hosting, whatever. Um, so it's kind of a balance, but yeah, this day and age, if you want to be an e-commerce brand, like you have to understand digital technology and software development, 
because you're running on software platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You are having people click through to your website, which is software. You are integrating with apps, which are software for fulfillment and other things. So it's not that you need to code. I can't read code one bit. It's just you need to understand how software integrates with other things to build a flow. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. So let's say you're talking to a younger, younger version of yourself. Let's say maybe 10 years ago, 15 mm -hmm. years ago. What words of wisdom would you have liked to receive from someone that was older than you that has done it before? Um, make sure you're constantly seeing if your ideas make sense mm -hmm. with other people who would be your future customers. Like people like to tell me I don't have a boss because, you know, I'm founder, CEO and like the whole thing. It's like I do. It's my customers. They tell me they can fire me by never ordering again or getting a refund. Like, so when I tell people that they're like, oh, of course, it's like, yeah, of course. Like I have, I have a boss. So it's, if you're building anything, make sure you're actually like building it for people and not that you're building it for like this abstract idea of what you hope people could do. Um, I would say that absolutely sweat every detail all the time. It matters. We have never, I mean, in like 10, 11 years of doing business, I've never had a lawsuit. I've never had a collection against me. I've never had anyone quit on me. Like literally not one, uh, unless it was like personal things like, hey, I just have to like take time off of working because a family thing happened. And so, because uh, I sweat every contract, everything I know, every line of, is a pain in the ass. It drives you crazy sometimes, but it avoids the catastrophic things. And so that would be what I kind of am getting at is like, there's a lot of things. Founders, if you have a partner or not, make sure you get an LLC or whatever the type you want. Make sure your operating agreement or joint venture agreement makes sense. You don't want to be doing business loosely with someone and then all of a sudden they want more or whatever. That's, if you think about it, that happened to Snapchat, Facebook, Tinder, and it almost tore all of those companies apart. You know, they mentioned it in the movie, The Social Network. So, yeah, do you, should you be you're 19 and you have a great idea? Do you want to be thinking about LLCs and operating agreements? No, but if you have a partner, think about it. You need to have things very clearly laid out with people you work with. It's one of the reasons I did Creed alone. It's because I was just kind of sick of doing that. Um, hmm. There's a lot more advice, I'm sure, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. So, I mean, earlier on in this conversation, you were talking about like you were hiring employees and that's kind of like a conversion point for most founders. And it's always based upon the capital that's coming in. So were you kind of like self-funded? Did you kind of get loans? How yeah. did you get that capital up front? Well, I'm lucky enough to have been successful in other ventures I've done. So I've been self-funding Crete entirely up to this point. Um, we've been looking to raise money, but we actually did so well this last month. Like we grew like, like some from September to November, we grew like 200 and something percent. It was 226 last time I checked, but we had an excellent day yesterday. So it's probably like 232 or something like that. Like two months more than doubling the revenue. Yes, it's the holidays, but our efficiency actually increased, which doesn't usually happen. So, you know, I don't necessarily know if I need funding as much. There's loans and other things, but to get from like zero to one, and then like now we're trying to get from one to two. So one to two could be raising money. It could be it could be debt because we obviously have predictable revenue and things like that. But to get from zero to one, you know, I always say it's a lot easier to spend less than it is to make more. I learned chemistry from YouTube and Google. I probably saved 20, 30 grand in, in formulation fees by doing that. I do our contracts. I probably saved 20, 30 grand and over a course of a year and making sure that like I found a template 
NDA and read it a bunch of times instead of 1500 bucks. I filed our trademarks after watching YouTube videos, 1500 per each trademark. So do the things that save those kinds of big chunks of money up front. Um, and then, you know, once you have enough, people will want to join. So, you know, a lot of people in the company are working for vesting equity. Some are actually working for exclusively that because they see what we have, but I had to get it to a point where it was worth enough for them to care. And for that, I, I self-funded. And with my own money, I wasn't just gonna be like very casual and pay lawyers crazy amounts. I was gonna try to do what I could myself. You know, That's why we made the products ourselves too. Hmm. Uh, now, now I have no interest in bottling products. It takes forever and it's a pain in my back. So I'm like, all right, we'll outsource it. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I literally like I have a burn here, like in a ring from a heat gun from like a year ago from like, you know, you heat seal stuff. Yeah. Like I'm not doing that anymore, but I, you know, I got the scars from it. Hmm. So how does someone find you? I mean, obviously, just to talk about like where can they find you on Internet? What website you want to send them to? to, to get handled? Yeah. So so our general like our brand website is Crete, K-R-E-T-E dot club, C-L-U-B. Um, you know, we like the Dollar Shave Club vibe. We thought, okay, if you like subscribe, we'll give you a lot of bonuses. And the club just kind of, it was branded a little more fun and sexy than just Crete.com. Um, so Crete.club is where you can, we have our crazy promos. I don't know when this, we, we always basically force discounts on people because we want to make sure they actually like feel like they're getting a deal because our products are so good. We just know that we need to get it in their hands. But if you want to reach me on Jake at Crete.club, I'm, answer emails kind of religiously. So I don't know. I, I have been helped by a lot of people. So if anyone wants advice or anything, reach out to me, I'll get back to you. Uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really keep secrets unless it's like the specific formula we have, but yeah. even that's on a box. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy to reach. So, I mean, obviously you had like multiple different levels of entrepreneurial achievements, which one would you say is your most significant one to date? Well, the other ones gave me the foundation, you know, uh, to do this. I would say that Crete has the highest upside because it incorporates things from the previous companies. You know, Hyper taught me a lot about digital marketing, making websites, ads, funnels, et cetera. The shoe company that I had that I signed some NDAs when I, when I sold that to my partner, so I can't go too much into it. But that taught me about fulfillment, manufacturing, and physical goods. Mm. And then the combination of those and, and, you know, other stuff I've done, tutoring, I used to tutor hundreds of students from age 16 till a couple of years ago. That was, that was what I was doing for cash in high school and college. And that taught me how to educate people, right? I needed to get, you know, complex, you know, chemistry into a student who's getting an F in chemistry. I need to teach him that. So that taught me how to tell people what I want them to know and have them retain it. So mm -hmm. those things build up and now Crete has, you know, physical products, uh, digital marketing funnel that educates guys in a new way of, of why skincare should just be easy. There's nothing feminine about like doing this and having better skin. No one sees it on your face. It's a skin health thing. You'll look better. You'll be confident. That's it. Products take 30 seconds or less to use. It's, our tagline is 30 second skincare to, to prove that hmm. as a kind of a brand promise. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could work as hard on Crete 24 seven if I didn't see the upside and love it yeah so i mean with your target demographic being men do you ever see yourself stepping into the female spectrum we do um 
but I want to do that later when we're more of a, a household name. And when that is, I'm not exactly sure, but it's probably a year or so from now. Mm-hmm. You know, Hims did it where they launched hers. And that was a little more specific as Hims was like Viagra, Pro- Propecia, and like male specific, mm-hmm. you know, pharmaceutical drugs or whatever. And so then they probably sold like birth control and other things on hers. I'm not exactly positive. I, it's not really for me. So I didn't go to hers. So, but we on purpose made the brand a slightly more masculine on the spectrum, but like we don't put for men and for guys and like all this crazy stuff in the packaging. We do actually have a lot of women buying it for men then realizing it's better than the products they use and keeping it. So we actually have a lot of female customers. We just know that with guys, it's an educational battle. Like, hey dude, you could should be using skincare. It's not that crazy and it's easy. Women, it's a differentiation battle. They know they should be using skincare and they have a million options. So you need to be like, why are you better than other people? With Crete, we're trying to go after guys first because it's like, hey, you don't even know that you should be doing this. So let's educate you. So, I mean, there's a little differentiation. We have some competitors, but it's far more of an education battle. And that's that's my strength, I believe, as a founder is is I educated myself on this stuff. So I know how a guy like me would want to be educated. That yeah, makes perfect sense. So I, I got a, a, a bonus question for you. If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, right? And this person could be dead or alive. You get to spend 24 hours with them uninterrupted. Who would it be and why? And I get to ask them whatever and they have to answer it. Yeah, you got a full day with them. So it's just you and them mm. for a full day, dead or alive, whoever. There's, there's probably three main answers. I mean, a guy like Elon Musk, I'd like to know how he balances it all. How he can, it's not even that like, how could he become an expert in these things? Because obviously I'm nowhere near his level, but like he's a space company, he's this company. He probably, he can learn enough about those and then hire great people. But how do you actually manage to have all these successful companies at that scale? I, I like even Steve Jobs did Apple and like maybe like the, whatever production company they had, like he wasn't doing Apple and Ford and something else at the same time. So that would, you know, he would be a guy to understand that a, a person like Peter Thiel has vision, like no one I've ever seen, you know, PayPal and early investor in Facebook and Palantir a guy like him of just how he sees the world. But I think I'd ultimately have to go with like a Benjamin Franklin because, hmm. you know, genius inventor before his time, you know, making crazy things in the 1700s, like, you know, yeah. I think he'd be the most interesting because the other guys actually, it's a little bit of a cheat to say him because the other guys, I can watch YouTube videos of them. I can't watch a YouTube video of Ben Franklin. So, unfortunately, you know, you asked me for one and I gave you three. I don't think that was his, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, whatever. But Ben and Ben is pretty serious. I mean, to your point, we can't time travel back, at least not yet, to kind of see and hear and speak to him directly. So that's definitely a fruitful one. Yeah. I mean, the guy was messing with electricity in the 1700s. Like, he, I'd like to know what made him, how he even thought that this was a good idea and what, how he did that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So going into closing, man, I like to, you know, whoever I'm interviewing, I like to give them opportunity to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast. So the show is yours. You're interviewing me. What questions do you have? What made you want to get started? Like what inspired you to, you know, reach out to people, especially it's been a very educational podcast. And so it it provides a lot of value. And what what drives you to want to kind of give back to people um, in this way? It was kind of one of those life changing events where I almost died. And when I came out of it, I survived. I was like, okay, like, what am I going to do to kind of leave behind a legacy? So like, 
this to me is a legacy for entrepreneurs because I think that like they're like the falling generation, right? It's like not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur or they're trying to, but why not facilitate these interviews to kind of leave those breadcrumbs behind, not just for my kids, but for someone else's kids that may be born 20 years from now and have opportunity to listen to this, this episode or other. Episodes. Yeah, it's immortal, man. Tomorrow, I mean, look, I had a ski accident and a scar on my face, and that's why I started Creek because I had to learn about skincare. I like, I was in a bad accident on a mountain there alone, and like, thankfully made it off. But yeah, out of out of tragedy can come, you know, enlightenment to deliver value to people. So that's really that's really beautiful to see, man. Um, okay, my next question would be: the background is quite colorful. Well, how do you how do you choose that? Because obviously, that's a personal brand. Mm-hmm. Loud colors, fun stuff. Like, how did you end up with with this setup? I'm just just living up to like when I was a kid, man, like growing up in Brooklyn, New York. And when I really found out that I was creative, it was more so through graffiti. So that's why you kind of see some of my brand elements. They kind of touch into the graffiti palette a little bit. Okay. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. One of my advisors when he was a kid did a lot of graffiti. And so he knows some big like graffiti groups. I don't know exactly what you call them out here. He's told me about that kind of sub world. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, subworld, right? There always another language all right. to learn. So, um, you know, your uh, I don't know if it's like it's like a beard slash goatee situation is is planned. How long have you had that? Why that style? Um, I've had it for probably like six, seven years at this point. I mean, I don't grow it out as long as I could, but I kind of I just. For me, growing up as a kid, I was like, I always wanted to have a mustache, wanted to have a beard. And then once I finally got it, it was like, all right, cool. Like, what can I do with it? So, and I just kind of just kind of like you, I've been working from home for so long. I don't have to shave if I don't want to shave, but, you know, obviously just keeping it clean and sharp from time to time and, and doing different things with it. It's just a way for me to kind of play with like my facial features. Yeah. The reason I'm asking about the stuff is obviously like, you know, there's a visual component to to this podcast. So this is, you know, your visual brand. What would make you change it? What would make you clean shave it or anything? Or you wouldn't? I wouldn't. I mean, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with, with like my brand. Like when I speak on stages and everything else, I mean, like this, this is the brand that I've developed at this point. So for me to kind of go cold turkey and, you know, grow my hair out, take off my hat and shave off my beard, it'll be a completely different person. So I'm assuming you like sci-fi more than fantasy. Is that a safe guess? I'm more on the science spectrum. Definitely. Yeah, I see the I see the Yoda when I don't see any like Lord of the Rings or or you know stuff. So I I made that guess. How into how into let's say sci-fi's you know Star Wars, Star Trek, anything in that like are you did that and and was it because of childhood or you just kind of like it in general? Uh, no, I, I think the science aspect of it is kind of pushing like what we know as proven fact versus what we're, we don't know yet. So sci-fi definitely calls to me on a regular basis. It's kind of like, what's next, you know, back, if you go back a hundred years, the things that we have right now, they couldn't even comprehend a hundred years ago. So w- w- what are we going to have a hundred years from now that we're seeing on TV and movies now that could become a real yeah. later? Well, it's interesting. Cause I, I, I think it was Elon Musk saying something like this. It might have been Steve Jobs. They said a hundred years ago, if you went back in time and like there were interviews and you asked people like, what's there going to be in a hundred years? They were like flying cars and teleportation, all these things that we just do not have. I guess we have helicopters, but, yeah. but you they could never have conceptualized this, you know, the entire world's information organized on the internet for anyone to access at any point, a tiny thing that fits in your pocket with a digital screen that like can explain yeah. anything to you. So like, it, it, I like science fiction, but it's almost never what you think 
is going to happen. Like this right here is science fiction. What we're doing right here over, over the internet is, is yeah. science fiction. Yeah. Um, are you a chess player? Yes. Yeah. You can uh, when did you start? Me. Yeah. I started, um, I would say my first game of chess when I really got into it was probably high school. So awesome. I, I used to play a lot too, yeah. What got you into it? Was it just a fun game you played with friends? It was like a social thing. It was a challenging thing. I'm a strategist by nature. And so like understanding like the principle, I look at chess as like a way of life. So it's kind of like understanding strategy, movement, moving the different pieces, moving the pawns per se, or moving different companies or different capital or different employees. It's all just a big chess game. Awesome. I mean, so what's, what's the next move for you in general in life? Well, next move for me, I mean, obviously it's taking this to scale. I mean, right now we're global, but we have like great following, great downloads, all that. And I'm like, okay, like we made that achievement. So what's the next level? So for me, it's like, I want to get to a million people and not just people. I want to get to a million entrepreneurs to where this brand is a household name to where they can actually tell their kids about it. And then the kids can learn from it. How do you do that? I mean, is it word of mouth? Do you run ads for, for it? Or like how, how do you market a podcast to more people? So podcasting is one of those unique things, man. It's kind of like taking the radio philosophy. Again, the more content you build is the more compounding effect that you have. So for every episode that I have, I'll probably get like two, 300 pieces of content. And I'm a real big automation Ooh. guy. So I'm taking the automation from this video, from this audio, from the text, from the transcriptions, and I'm syndicating it over and over and over again. And then every other episode that comes, it compounds. So right now we're at about 150 episodes, but we're producing content times 300 of that hundred yeah at scale so amazing i mean that sounds that sounds like it's great i mean does it kind of naturally grow too because as you grow you get featured on you know maybe it's a, in a recommended page on one of the platforms and that grows the audience and so it's kind of just like grinding your way up to like with us right it's about efficiency the the more we spend with facebook the better the algorithm the better the algorithm the more efficient so we spend more and so, but like originally you're spending and it's terrible. You're spending a hundred bucks and you're getting no sales. And the next hundred bucks is one sale. And the next hundred bucks is two. So is it, is it similar kind of grind exactly your way up? It's compounding, man. It's, it's like, like you look at stocks. I mean, you're compounding the effect, right? So I have mm -hmm. one user listens today that one user then recommends to two other people. Then those two people recommend to someone else. And then I have more episodes. And then every time I interview someone like you of, of your caliber, you're going to push out the content as well, too. So think about that at scale and also the recommendations. Mm -hmm. Everything is multiplying itself. So even without paid ads, you can kind of get a podcast to be really mainstream if you just stick to it and, and compound every single aspect of all the content. Awesome. Final question is um, the O is a star, sort of a star. It's like a gear. It's a star. It depends on where I'm looking around. How did you, how did you come up with that? What does that mean for you? Why that letter within those four? Why that's those, that symbol? Why that design? So the symbol is multiple different things. If you look at it from a standpoint as an individual or as a customer or as an avatar, you can kind of see there's a, a head and then just four arrows that make the body. So that's one premise right there is talking to your ideal avatar. On the other spectrum is something that I always talk about on stages as far as branding. And I always say that there's four levels of branding. There's a corporate brand, um, an actual product brand, a service brand, and a personal brand. So that's the four arrows coming in together. And then also just talking about like marketing strategy, pulling into that thing. Like if you're talking about growth strategy, there's four growth strategies that kind of you're talking about diversification. You're talking about infiltrating a market sector. 
again, all four of those arrows are going into that individual, that avatar that's going to help you convert or help you to grow. So everything that I'm doing is essentially growth strategy. And that icon symbolizes all these different things. But as a person looking at it, they could identify it as an individual. That's amazing. Can you say those four one more time? Corporate, personal, oh, uh, for the yeah. brands, corporate, personal, product, and something else. I can't remember. Yeah. So for it. you, like, for example, for you, you have a, a company brand, right? You have a product. Which is brand, great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a service, which you may not have, but again, okay. recurring revenue. So that could maybe a service brand. And then ideally would be the company brand. So company brand, service brand, product brand, and individual, like the actual. So me brands. on this podcast, I'm improving my personal brand by telling you about our hyaluronic acid serum versus our concealer. I'm telling you about the product brand, but overall, this is giving people a feel of Crete, which is the brand. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I, I never really, I mean, it makes, you know, sometimes you have something that just makes sense. You're like, okay. Yeah. We don't really have services, I guess. I mean, I view getting our product to you as a service, you know, mm-hmm. us selling it to you is part kind of a service. So I don't know, it's a little abstract to view it that way, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say look at look at Apple. You know, Apple is a brand, the, the iPhone is a brand, Steve Jobs is a brand, and then iTunes is a brand that supports the product, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's the, more of the service or iCloud is a service that supports the product as well. Yeah, that's that's a really great way to put it. I appreciate that. Yeah, anytime, man. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule today. I think it was definitely an insightful episode. And I didn't, for people that want to jump into this space, I think you delivered some little nuggets that they may not have heard from anyone else before. So I definitely appreciate that. I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, man. Thank you. Great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thank you for tuning in to another empowering episode of Boss Uncaged, where we've explored the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, harnessed the power of digital marketing, and embraced the journey of building impactful brands. As we wrap up this episode, I want to express my deepest gratitude to our incredible guests, listeners, and the entire Boss Uncaged community. Your dedication to unlocking your potential and conquering the business realm has made this podcast a dynamic hub of inspiration and knowledge. Throughout the Boss Uncaged journey, we've delved into exclusive interviews, shared strategies, and celebrated success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. It's been a roller coaster of insights, lessons, and triumphs, and I hope you found valuable takeaways to apply in your own entrepreneurial endeavors. Whether we've tackled challenges together, explored the vast landscape of diverse media platforms, or uncovered the secrets to dominating in business, your commitment to the Boss Uncaged spirit has been truly inspiring. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, like leave a positive five-star review and share the Boss Uncaged podcast to continue elevating the business game. The Boss Spirit runs free and we're always ready to amplify your entrepreneurial journey with extra resources at bossuncaged.com. Before we sign off, remember that Boss Uncaged is more than just a podcast. It's the heartbeat of the Boss Uncaged educational network and omni-media. It's a vision brought to life by the Uncaged boss in all of us. Thank you for being part of this incredible ride. Stay hungry, stay focused, and keep conquering the business realm. Subscribe, like, and share now to keep the Boss Uncaged spirit alive.